Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians and spending a little time together in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. So let's read through our text this morning before we start. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hang, is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now we've been going through Galatians for about seven weeks now, and the problem that Paul is confronting are Jewish Christians called Judaizers who are preaching a false gospel that faith plus works is required for salvation. And Paul desperately, Paul desperately wants the Galatians to stop believing this foolishness, this foolishness that they need to add works to their faith. And it might be tempting, probably, for you and I to look around and say, well, I don't see any Judaizers here preaching a false gospel of faith plus works. Is this really a problem for the church? And the unfortunate answer to this question is yes. In 2017, there was a Pew Research study, and it said that 81% of Catholics believe, 81%, that faith plus works is required for salvation. And that doesn't surprise me, because I, I was a Catholic, and that's been the teaching of the church for millennia. However, 52% of Protestants, those who should believe in the biblical doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone that was expounded by reformers like Martin Luther, also believe that faith plus works is required for salvation to get to heaven. So the problem in Galatia is not a 2,000-year-old problem. It's also a modern problem for the church and this can range from us holding erroneous beliefs about what Scripture says about salvation to a subtle shift in our own thinking towards self-reliance on our own efforts rather than God, rather than relying on the gospel of grace and the finished work of Christ. So while this letter is to the Galatians, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the foolishness of thinking that we can be justified by our own works, by our own efforts. And chapter 3 is a pivotal chapter in Galatians. It's where Paul starts his argument. It's where he starts his argument for justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And last Sunday, Pastor Stuart preached through Galatians 3, 1 through 9. In this today, our passage is essentially part 2 of Paul's argument from Scripture. So before we get into the text, I think it would be helpful to recap where we left off last Sunday. In chapter 3, Paul's beginning, as I said, an extended argument from Scripture to prove his thesis and refute the claims of the Judaizers. And he's going to do this by showing that justification is by faith alone and not by works of the law. If you'll recall, or if you weren't here, 
Paul begins his argument for justification by faith alone in verses 1 through 5, leveraging the Galatians' experience of the Spirit in their lives. And then in verses 6 through 9, he argues for justification by faith alone by the example of Abraham. Now Paul tells us that Abraham believed by faith in the promise that God made to him, that God had counted that as righteousness to Abraham. In other words, Abraham was approved by God solely on account of his faith in God's promise and not by any works that he had done. And all of this happened before Abraham was ever circumcised or the law was ever given. So God's, so in fact, Scripture tells us that Abraham actually received the sign of circumcision as a seal for the righteousness that he had by faith. And so God's purpose in this was to make Abraham the spiritual father of all who believe without being circumcised, and also the father of the circumcised who walk by faith like Abraham, so that the righteousness would be credited to them as well. And the blessing that was to come from Abraham or through Abraham, justification by faith, was always intended to include the Gentiles. That's the Galatians, that's people like you and I. The result being that the Gentiles who put their faith in what God had done for them in Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection would be in a right relation to God. And now in our passage this morning, Paul takes his argument in a slightly different direction, but with the same goal of demonstrating that justification is by faith alone and not by works. The main point of our passage this morning is that the path of justification by works of the law leads to God's curse, but the path of justification by faith in Christ leads to God's blessing. Now this breaks down into two, two points, and they're in your sermon notes so that you can follow along. In the first three verses, we're going to see that Paul builds his argument that no one is justified by works of the law. He's going to do this by showing that the law is incompatible, incompatible with faith. He's going to once again use the Old Testament to make his point. Paul desperately, desperately wants the Galatians to stop this foolishness. They need to add works to their faith, and he wants them to understand that the path of justification by works of the law will only lead to God's curse. So Paul gives us three reasons. He gives us three reasons why our right standing before God can never, never depend on our own efforts or our own works. And the first reason is that you and I are unable to keep God's law. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, Paul wants the Galatians to know. He wants to make sure they understand that everyone who relies on the law in order to be justified is under a curse. And he tells us why that is. Paul tells us the law requires 100% compliance, perfect obedience. That means that if you mess up on one thing, you've broken God's law. You're under a curse. You're condemned. In verse 10, Paul is 
paraphrasing Deuteronomy 27, 26, and 28, 58. In these two chapters, Moses is giving a listing of blessings and curses associated with keeping success or failure and keeping the law. And the curse in Deuteronomy comes to those who do not do all that the law requires. And we see this in the New Testament. This is nothing new. In James 2.10, he writes, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And brothers and sisters, this is not just the big stuff. This is just not you shall have no other God before me or you shall not murder or you shall not steal. This is all of God's law. So that anyone who does not do it, who does not do all that is written in the book of the law is under God's curse. And the unspoken implication is that no one can do it. No one can obey God's law perfectly. So why is it? Why is it that we can't? The Bible tells us, and Paul tells us emphatically in Romans 3, that none are righteous and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Even the teacher in Ecclesiastes tells us in Ecclesiastes 7, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Brothers and sisters, sin is universal. Only one person ever perfectly obeyed God's law. Only one person ever went through life and never sinned, and that was Jesus. As for us, as for you and I, we can't do it. And we know this. We know this in our own life. Our human experience testifies to this. We can all think back to a time when we sinned before and even after we came to faith in Christ. Now, you probably don't need an example, but I'm, I'm going to give you one anyway because I, I think it's just good to illustrate how simple it is to not follow God's law for us. This is a convicting passage for anyone who's ever been through the teenager years. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. Guilty. Now the opposite of faith is to rely on ourselves. And Paul says that if we rely on our works, our own performance, we will not be justified because God requires perfect obedience to the law and no one, not you, not me, not the Galatians, can perfectly obey God's law. So those, those who rely on the law for their justification are cursed. That is under God's condemnation. Instead of being a path to blessing, to justification, it is a path to a curse, to condemnation. Instead of a path to eternal life, it is a path to spiritual death and darkness. Oh, Paul's not done. He's not done making his point. In verse 11, he gives us the, the second reason why our right standing with God cannot depend on our works. Why the path of justification by works of the law leads to God's curse. He says it's because justification is by faith and not by law. In verse 11, Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul is saying is that 
It's obvious that no one is justified by works of the law, and that's not just because no one can perfectly obey it. It's because that's the way it works. That's how God ordained it. That's what Scripture tells us. In verse 11, Paul is quoting from Habakkuk 2.4. Paul's point, if I can summarize for you, is that the righteous gain salvation by faith, by trusting in the Lord, and not by relying on their own efforts. Habakkuk was a prophet, and he foretold of a day when judgment would come at the hand of the Babylonians, that God would send them as divine punishment for their failure to obey the law. And this judgment would be a test of faith for the Israelites while they waited for God's promised salvation. And in the context of Habakkuk 2.4, we see a contrast between the proud who trusted himself and the righteous who lives by faith in the Lord. And Habakkuk becomes a prime example for us of this faith when he says in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see, Habakkuk trusted in God in the midst of difficulties and uncertainties, when things seemed utterly impossible. But by faith, he believed, like Abraham, that God would fulfill his promises and his purposes. And that brings us to Paul's third reason, why our right standing with God cannot depend on our own works, why the path to justification by our works leads to God's curse, and that's because faith and the law are incompatible. Paul says in verse 12, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now recall the Judaizers, the false teachers, were telling the Galatians that in order to be justified, to be saved, they needed to have faith and do good works. Works of the law. Now, of course, when it comes to being declared right before God, the fundamental problem we have is that faith and works are not compatible. Works are never part of the root or source of our justification. Faith is. Works are a fruit, a fruit of our justification. And ultimately, as it pertains to our salvation, these two things are the opposite of one another. So when Paul says that the law is not of faith, he means they function differently. They're not of the same nature. The person of faith trusts in what God has done for them in Christ for their salvation. They rely on what God has done and not their own efforts. Now some might say, well, isn't faith the work of the believer? Paul would say no. Scripture says no. The Bible teaches that there's no place for a person's own efforts in their faith. Even faith itself, the Bible teaches, is a gift of God's grace. And Paul teaches this clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 when he writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Works, on the other hand, function entirely differently, as the name might suggest. They're based on doing rather than believing, based on human performance. And if you're relying on works to earn God's approval, well, you live or die spiritually based on those works. And Paul reinforces this. He reinforces this in verse 12 when he says, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul's quoting here Leviticus 18.5. He's saying that those who do what the law requires will live on the basis of their obedience to the law, their performance. That is, if they rely on works of the law, then their right standing before God will be based on those works. But Paul has already shown us that that doesn't work. Law does not bring life. It cannot justify. It's because we're unable unable to fill its commands since the law requires perfect obedience. The path of justification by our works leads to nowhere but God's curse. Commentator Thomas Schreiner sums this up well, the incompatibility of faith in the law. He writes, Law obedience, therefore, is contrary to faith since it is predicated on obeying instead of believing to obtain salvation on performing what is required instead of trusting God's work in Christ. The attempt, then, to be righteous by keeping the law is fundamentally opposed to believing, to trusting what God has done in Christ for justification. So what have we seen so far this morning in the first three verses? Paul is teaching us. Paul is teaching us that justification, our right standing with God, cannot be by our own works. That if we try to earn our justification by works of the law, and by extension, any attempt that we make at securing it on our own ourselves, we end up under God's curse, his condemnation. And that's because, and that's because God requires perfect obedience. And you and I, you and I can't do it. Rather, Paul teaches us that A right standing with God has always been by faith, just as we saw with Abraham and Habakkuk. And finally, that faith and works of the law are so fundamentally incompatible with each other by their nature that you cannot mix the two together. It's one or the other. And Paul tells us that trying to justify ourselves by works of the law results in a curse. So the question The question we have to ask ourselves, I think, today and every day, who are we in this story? Are we professing justification by faith, yet living our life as if we must earn God's approval by our good works? If we are, Paul tells us that these two things aren't compatible. They can't exist together. One theologian said it's like this. It's like saying you believe in marital fidelity while simultaneously committing adultery. The acts or works of the person don't agree with the profession of faith. Or maybe we think, maybe we think that right standing with God is a matter of religious practice. That is, going to church every Sunday, or most Sundays, trying to follow the rules, and maybe thinking we're well, we're basically a good person, and so 
we're good with God. And if I'm being honest with you, there was a time when that was me. So, I say this to you with love. I do. But if you were like me, relying on your own good works to be right with God, then you were under a curse, under God's condemnation, just like I was. And I know, I know at this moment, it might not sound like it, but I promise you that good news is coming. (laughs) Just stick with me in the last two verses, and you will see amazing hope. You'll see the path of justification by faith in Christ leads to God's blessing. So let's look together at verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And we're going to look at the last two verses one at a time as we wrap up our passage this morning. And the first thing that we're going to see this morning in verse 13 is that the path of justification by faith in Christ leads to God's blessing because Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You see, up until now, Paul has been expounding on the impossibility, the utter foolishness of trying to find our justification, our right standing before God in our own efforts by acts of obedience to God's law. And the curse of the law that we've been talking about, it lies on all people, all of us. Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse By becoming a curse for us. Hear it. He says Jesus redeemed us. And if we are redeemed or rescued from the curse of the law. Then we must have been under it. Now we know from Romans 2. That Paul believes that Gentiles are also responsible for doing God's will. Because the law. The law is written on their hearts. In Romans 2, 14 and 15 Paul says. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. But more than that, in Romans 3.19, Paul tells us that the whole world is accountable to God. Now we know, in Romans 3.19, Paul writes, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And hear this. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. So there it is. We're all under the curse of the law. God's condemnation because we are all held accountable by a perfect and holy God. And we are all unable to perfectly obey God's law. And I want you, in this moment, to let the gravity of that claim take hold in your mind. I want you to think the seriousness of being under God's condemnation. 
without being able to do anything about it yourself. And the question, the question that should come to our mind is how can we get out from under this curse? What can be done? Paul answers us. He says that the redemption from the curse is found in the cross of Christ, in Christ crucified. He says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the word redeem means to liberate, to free. It has a sense of purchasing a slave to free them. And Paul says that he redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. Paul says the evidence of this is that he was hung on a tree. And Paul here is using Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, and he says, Deuteronomy says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. And here it is. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You see, when a criminal was put to death, his body was hung on a tree as a form of public humiliation to visibly show that the condemned man was under the curse of God, under the indictment of God's judgment and condemnation. So when Christ was hung on the cross, as a condemned and executed criminal, he was publicly shown as one under God's curse. And you might be also saying again, wait, wait a minute, Jesus was not a criminal. We know this. Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and that he was sinless. The Apostle Peter calls Jesus the lamb without blemish in 1 Peter 1. And Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, what's the significance of that? Why does it matter that he was sinless and he perfectly obeyed God? Sometimes you, you find a, a quote that explains something better than you could, you could ever say it. Late R.C. Sproul, theologian R.C. Sproul said, it was by his sinlessness that Jesus qualified himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. However, our salvation requires two aspects of redemption. It was not only necessary for Jesus to be our substitute and receive the punishment due for our sins. He also had to fulfill the law of God perfectly to secure the merit necessary for us to receive the blessings of God's covenant. Jesus not only died as the perfect for the imperfect, the sinless for the sinful, but he lived the life of perfect obedience required for our salvation. So Jesus took it upon himself, our curse, our sin, even though he was sinless, the punishment that we rightly deserve. And this is important. This is what we mean when we say the doctrine of substitutionary penal atonement. Jesus paid our penalty. And I love the song, Jesus Paid It All, because I, I think it sums it up in a, in a nice way. It says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 
You see, Christ's death was a substitution for the death that we deserved, in which he took God's wrath for our sin and satisfied God's justice, redeeming us from the curse, and praise God that he did. And now in verse 14, Paul comes full circle back to where he started with the blessing of Abraham. Christ's sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross was so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, justification or right standing before God, might come to the Gentiles. That's the Galatian Christians. That's people like you and me who have placed their trust in Christ. And as part of that blessing, as evidence of the blessing, of their right standing before God, the receipt of the promised spirit. And all of this... All of this came through faith, Paul says, and by implication, not by works of the law. That is, the path of justification by faith in Christ leads to God's blessing because in Christ we receive the blessings of Abraham. Now Paul has concluded his argument. He had been confronted with false teachers saying that salvation or our right standing before God required faith plus works. And the Galatians had been hoodwinked. They apparently had started to believe this false teaching. So Paul shows them the utter futility and foolishness of relying on the law for their salvation, for their right standing before God. He shows them that it can't be done, that no one can perfectly obey God's law through their own efforts. That righteousness comes to us not by our works, but by our faith. And if we are trying to add works to our faith as a means to secure our right standing before God, that these two things are not compatible with one another. In fact, it becomes terribly obvious that if no one can perfectly fulfill God's law, that everyone is under the curse. All of us, unless something can be done about it. And Paul says, something has been done. Paul is saying to the Galatians, stop it, by God's grace, stop trying to earn your salvation, your right standing before God. Christ has already set you free, you foolish Galatians. You have been redeemed by, from the curse of the law at the cross of Christ. Jesus' death was sufficient to redeem you from the curse. It is by your faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ that you are saved and enjoy the right standing before your perfect and holy God. And now he says, you are the children of Abraham and therefore part of God's family. You have been adopted as sons and freed from the bondage to sin. And you have the evidence of this in your lives. God has sent the spirit of Christ into your heart. And you have seen this work in your lives. So by God's grace, stop it and rest in the gospel of grace. And the problem is for us, if we think about it, is that over time, the good news of the gospel can become like white noise to us. We stop, we stop thinking about the reality of Christ crucified for our sins and the forgiveness that it brings. 
that we have no righteousness of our own, but are rather cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, and we begin to live as if somehow, somehow we must live in a particular way or do particular things to earn or maybe even maintain our standing with God, God's favor. And maybe, maybe it's not all the time. Maybe it's just once in a while. But know that it happens. The theological category for this is called legalism. Legalism is any attempt to gain acceptance or forgiveness from God through our own efforts. For example, when you sin, do you sometimes think to yourself, maybe I'm not a Christian after all? If you do, then maybe sometimes you believe you're being saved by your good works and not by the gospel of grace. Or maybe, maybe you've stopped praying for an extended period of time and now you're afraid to start because you fear God won't listen to your prayers now. If this is you, then maybe you think sometimes God's love for you is contingent upon your obedience and not based on faith in Christ alone. Now to be sure, we can all have moments in our life as believers when we are functionally unbelieving, when we are dipping in to legalism. In those moments, we must confess this to God and repent asking God to bring the reality of the gospel of grace into our hearts and to remind us now that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We must remind ourselves of the gospel We must preach it to ourselves until it permeates our souls and is a lens through which we see ourselves and others. Now, if you're here today and you've not placed your trust in Jesus for your salvation, but instead are hoping that you will be deemed good enough by God because you go to church and you do good deeds, and you think that you're basically a good person, let me offer this thought. Paul teaches us clearly in this passage that we can never be good enough to stand before a perfect and holy God. That's works. That is the path to darkness and spiritual death and separation from God for eternity. Our only hope Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, through Jesus, there's another path. The path to right standing before God, the path to forgiveness, the path to life, and the path to joy in the presence of the Lord forever. So I implore you, I implore you, today, consider the gospel. That Jesus, though being sinless, was crucified on the cross to redeem us from our sins and the curse of the law, and that he rose again and in his resurrection showed the power of God to save. Believe on him who died for you. Let's pray.
Father God, we come before you sinners, Lord. We come before you unworthy to stand before a perfect and holy God. It is only by your grace and mercy, Lord, that you have given us a way to get out from under this curse. And not by anything we might do, Lord, but through what you do and what you've done in Christ Jesus for us. Father, I pray, I pray this morning that your word has been heard. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not placed their trust in Christ, Lord, that you would use your word, not mine, your words this morning to plant the seed of the gospel, to plant the seeds of faith. And Father, for those of us who, who have professed our faith, Lord, but sometimes struggle, Father, would you give us encouragement through these words today that we can fall back upon your gospel of grace. We must let go and rely on the finished work of Christ on the, Christ on the cross. And we pray these things, Lord. Pray them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.